Today's guest is actor, comedian, television host, and director Bob Saget. You know him from Full House, Raising Dad, America's Funniest Home Videos, and countless other things. You can also listen to his new podcast, Bob Saget's Here For You. I hope you enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. So I want to start out this podcast by, you know, telling you a story about me. But so I did a few episodes of Entourage and, uh, and I look back on that experience as not one of my prouder moments. On Entourage, you're saying? Yeah. And, you know, and there's a handful of those that I've had. Well, I think I'm pretty critical of my performances. I can't stand most of what I do. (laughs) I was thinking about how most performers must have those experiences, those performances where it's like, I just don't, I just, it was not the right shoe. It was not Cinderella's shoe for me. I I couldn't, and I wonder about this in the world of comedy, if like I, I look at somebody like Bradley Whitford, who who has guest starred on Mom a few times, and he's this you know br- brilliant guy who also has the confidence, or uh, confidence is a simplistic word, but no, it he, he does have it. I sat next to him on a plane once, yeah, <laughs> and uh, he put his number in my phone as Bradley Horsecock, um, <laughs> and so that's that's a pretty confident man. I don't know if it's if this is typical, but especially during that time when I did Entourage, which was probably like 2004, 2005, somewhere Did there. you do more than one appearance? I think I did two or three. I think you did. And I did like four or five. But, you know, as a guest star too, it's sort of like... It's also the boys club. That yes. was the, the show was the boys club. So it was like, how were they using you? Were they making you America's sweetheart or were they going more... I didn't more- know. They were like, you know, this has potential for like you know, being like, you can get some more episodes out of this. And then I think by the third, then it was like, bye. <laughs> but because it, it was, it was, you know, it was a very misogynistic time and people really were well, getting off on it. What what I was thinking more about was that idea of like, there's some, some performances that feel great and I'm having fun. And I know that if it's sparking my imagination, I tend to be more proud of those performances. I have that as well. When they first wrote me, uh, when Doug Allen first wrote me on there, and I had a few friends on the show that were writing, Chris Henchy, a bunch of different people that we all know. And not that we all, you know, everybody out listening in the world knows them. (laughs) But he said, I'm going to write you where your wife got all the money and you're kind of broke. And I went, no, 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 no. I I can't play that. I've got to play it like I'm successful. Okay, what I'll do then, how about it was that quick of a flip on a dime? I'll write you the ballsiest motherfucker in the world. And you've got all the money and all the chicks and you're, you're Bob fucking Saget. I said, well, okay. So next thing I know, I don't shave for three days. I'm smoking cigars. I got two women on me and, and I even showed up just talking dirty. Like I knew everybody. And Adrian Grenier, who I love was like, who is that guy? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, do you have performances that you're like, I feel like, fuck, I, Wish I had done, I mean, not in necessarily yeah, singular I would say, moments. I'd say Full House and Fuller House. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? <laughs> but, but why? Whole. Well, there's, you know, there's things I love about it, but I don't, again, I don't like to watch myself. And then there were times where I was not appreciating what it was. And, you know, I was Richie Cunningham kind of on the show. And I wanted, I went, I'm a funny guy, but they can't write that because you can't really be a father of three daughters and be going, hey, you know, that reminds me of when, you know, you can't, not that I want to be, I didn't want to be Charlie Sheen on the show and it was made for 14 year old girls. So a lot of that show came with acceptance, but I was always fighting, uh, not fighting, but trying to make it more real. Right. That's what you I would try to do because it was a show of not it wasn't reality. You know, it was three guys in a house. One's a comedian, one's a rock star, and and one's just a dad that cleans too much, which I stole from Felix Unger. So. But isn't that the most difficult thing, especially in that in the multicam sitcom format, it's incredibly difficult to kind of 
massage dialogue. So it comes out of your mouth in a somewhat natural way. Yeah, it's it's almost like theater. You have to really hit it. You have to hit every beat and you have to you can't you have to be where you have to be. Right. And there it has to land because it has to serve the other side of it. But that's, you know, Martin and Lewis, I my I love Dean Martin. I mean, Jerry Lewis was hilarious and yeah, he was he was the one everybody would recognize, but I was a Dean Martin guy. And yeah, he was good looking and he was a singer, so he already had that going. But as far as their movies went, and I go back to where does all this come from? Where does the honeymoon has come from? But everybody's great on that. First of all, I think you're amazing. And you were fantastic on Full House. You elevated a role that is difficult to elevate. And you became like America's dad, uh, you know, on the show. Well, I think it's good now because most of the others are in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are there cliques in stand-up? Stand-up is, you know, it's just like, it's the same thing as you. When you're around people that you, you get to work with that you love, that you love their work before you even met them, or you've known them a long time and you came up together, there's a mutual respect there. And there's also happiness for their success. I would imagine camaraderie, but also a high degree of competition. Well, I never looked at it as, in fact, I was against competition. So I was offered to be on a show called Star Search and I refused to go on it. I had no, I lived in a single apartment. I had no money. And I wouldn't go on it because I was like, I don't want to compete against another comedian. I don't want to compete. I got enough problems. It's like auditioning. I don't, I audition enough. I'm not good at it. I hate it because I'd rather, I really need to be right for something or well, someone. So um, it's arbitrary. How do you judge great works of art? Like, you know, I feel the same way about awards until I win one, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like people, I know people that went. I was so upset with that Imagine video with all the stars in it and because I wasn't asked to be in it. That's what. And then I have another, I have a friend, Jim Norton, who's a comedian, and he says, boy, that Imagine video really choked me up because I hung myself after I watched it. (laughs) But yeah, there's a camaraderie with comedians. I mean, my first MC at Comedy Store was Letterman. And one of my first nights in stand-up at the Comedy Store when I got spots, it was Letterman was on, Robin Williams, Pryor came in later, Michael Keaton was up. He had he had just had a sitcom at Jim, with Jim Bellucci that failed. Billy Crystal was on. He was on a sitcom called Soap. This was all in one night. Wow. And I went like, this is why I quit film graduate school, so I could be around this. And they thought I was funny, and I was weird. I mean, you know, I did weird stuff. It wasn't as dirty as I got later, and now I'm kind of in the middle somewhere. I want to help people as we are allowed to go out and do stand-up one day. How, what do you mean? How was your early work weird? How would well, you Well, I would that? say stuff. It was esoteric. I would say, my mother is gummy, my father's pokey, and I'm Mr. Potato Head. And it was all rhythms. I have no friends and I have no life and I live in a moped. It was almost like poetry. I don't know what it was. And then I had one joke like, I have the brain of a German shepherd and the body of a 16-year-old boy and they're both in my car and I want you to see them. <laughs> So it's almost like really creepy. I was a really creepy, but a very amicable looking, nice young man. Did you have, did you deliver these jokes with a smile? Like what was oh, your, yeah. what, was, how was your face? Like, oh, uh, I was always happy. I was your sweet friend. I was the kid you wanted. Right, right, you know, right. I right. was the son you wanted, or maybe the, no, nobody wanted me as a boyfriend. I was, I was actually, uh, well, no, I had a girlfriend who became my wife when I was 26. So as my stand-up improved, and then I ended up with the show, and then another show before that on CBS, and I did a Richard Pryor movie, that's where I felt like I was going to find my voice, because I was able to curse in the Pryor movie, and I was working with Richard Pryor. So uh, I went, oh, wild. this is going to be great. And then I got this job, and I wanted the job of Full House. It's really weird how things happen, and how you, you know, you you. All I wanted to do was direct movies. And then I'd done a a few of those. And now it looks like I'm about to do one as soon as the. Oh, uh, good. We're allowed to go out uh, and do something. But comedians are close. I have a closeness with, like, my podcast that I started, which I want you to be on. I would love to. 
All I want to talk about is your entourage experience. Um, <laughs> I just didn't give them my best performance. That's all. And you won't tell me. You can't. <laughs> yes, you I don't did. think you cannot. No, I didn't. I really didn't. You're I, adorable. It, Everything you've no, ever done is good. Uh, I've never no, no, seen no. you do anything bad. I, there was no flavor to it at all. It was so bland. I was scared shit. I'm going to look it up. No, I'm a, I'm you a, don't have to. I, I, I Now I've <laughs> Oh, darn. Okay, Bob, wait. Uh, would you recommend people get married in their 20s? No, I don't. I thought you said get married in their trunks. <laughs> that would and be I like one of your tr- early jokes. Yeah, right. Yeah, you should be. But you should get married in a trunk, like a magician's <laughs> trunk. Like you're the assistant. That's how you should marry. And then he puts a sword through you. Yeah. And if, it, if you don't get stabbed, it's going to last. But I, I, yeah, uh, I don't know. I got, I can't have any regrets. I got married at 26, had my first kid at 30. Uh, when I did Full House, I had one daughter. I now have three amazing daughters. They're 33, 30, and 27. And I don't recommend. You're married now to a very talented guy, right? No, I am. I am twice divorced, and I'm engaged. You're engaged now. Yeah. And he's he's uh, very talented. I'm yeah, very, he's, he's very yeah. smart. He's well. He's also helping me right over here, but he doesn't want to be on the camera. But, Is he in the building right now? Is yeah, he he's right the- here. He's helping me with all this stuff. <laughs> but anyway, to give you an example, real quick, just to answer something that I didn't say was the people that I had. Uh, I just started my podcast. Like just now, this week is my second week. I've done three episodes. Each how are you? Week. How are you liking it? I love it. I I call real people. I call people. Yeah, I know. So, I want to talk to you about that. But, but the people that I'm close with are like Bill Burr and Howie Mandel, who I started with when I was 22. I've talked to uh, Stamos was my first uh, guest of celebrity note or what I don't celebrity is a bad word of actor friend note, uh, talented person. Celebrities are people that cut ribbons at supermarkets or or they do a porn tape and then they get famous and have a reality show. So wait, what do you, what, wait, what's what okay, celebrities are in, uh, They don't have I don't the word always meant to me that you don't have discernible talent, you're just famous. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. But you could have a makeup line, I guess you're not a celebrity then. I don't know. I I haven't analyzed that term in my head too much. I probably should. It feels like a tiara of a word or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. It didn't used to be anything but TMZ type of lingo. And now it's become our celebrities are Brad Pitt and Carrot Top. And everybody fits into one lump. <laughs> yeah. The reason why I wanted to, well, I always preface everything. The reason why. Do I need to do that? Probably not. No, but, you can do that. All right. Well, And it's nothing wrong with talking out loud either. I love that. When I met I love that. You, when I met you, I was thank you, thank you. How old were you? Twenty three. When I met you, yeah, I we think were in a bar. Two. We were on the upstairs of a bar on Beverly, across from the old ICM. Were building. you doing raising dad? Is that is it? Did I meet you through my ex? It was. It was before, yes, he was on it, but I met you before that. Oh, really? And I don't think you were with Ben when I met you. Well, I probably was, but maybe he wasn't there. Because ah. I, I pro- we dated, like we started dating immediately when I moved to LA. Oh. And I think for me, I think I really needed, I needed intimacy. And maybe it was, you know, the wrong person, but maybe the right person at that time. Because I don't think I would change things either. But Right. But- I think it's the right person. I look at it as one long relationship. <laughs> it's like, it's just because I'm a narcissist. So it's like us... And then all the other people. <laughs> but, but my wait. wife's in the other room, and I'm I've never I haven't been this happy in in forever. I mean, fuck, I'm, I'm that's really... great, Bob. Is that because yeah. you're taking like time to? Why is that? I didn't think I was going to meet anybody after my last ex, and I was divorced 23 years ago from the mother of my children, and I still talk to the baby mama. Pretty much daily, we do a text some, of some kind because we got three kids. And then I had a bunch of people that I dated, and some were closer than others. Nice people, a couple of not as nice. You got to um, go through some, you know, little spice. You got to have some of that because yeah. I, I had the uh, angel devil thing going. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Only when I was first uh, divorced, the first person I dated who was half my age, which always seems to be an equation. There's always a 20-year difference. It's supposed to be half your age plus seven, 
but I would go minus seven. So I was in jail for a couple of years, but I got out and I did some broad looming and I learned how to bake. Broad looming? Yeah, that's when you have large pieces of yarn. and What do you do with it? You'd make, you know, shawl. I didn't do it, but shawls, like a shawl. Then why do you know this term? Because I'm 63 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Knitting. Knitting would have been better. Or making a pashmina. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, you know, when I asked you that question about clicks with stand-up, I had this fantasy earlier today about like you and like your buddies like facing off like behind the comedy store like with some like young punks. <laughs> we would hang out and we would, we were friends. I mean, when I started, my closest friends were Dave Coulier before we were on Full House, Gary Shandling. Uh, we would write together. We would hang out. I was there when he did his first Tonight Show. Uh, first time I was on the Tonight Show was with Gary and then later with Johnny the next time. It was a circle of us that that hung out. And then I started to hang out with the other people that were there who turned out to be, I mean, it was Robin Williams just after he had done Laugh-In Part 2. It was before he got Mork and Mindy. The stand-ups that I know have a very, addiction feels like the incorrect word as well, but the need, the desire for that specific format. What is the physical feeling that makes it so you must do this again and again and again. Well, it's the cliche stuff. If you get you get immediate reaction, you are you're having a, a real conversation with people, and it's it's happening in the moment. It's similar to acting, only in that it's in the moment and it's an exchange with an audience. But Jerry Seinfeld calls it a discourse, even though he doesn't talk to the audience. It is a discourse. Right. You're, but mine sometimes becomes one where I'll sometimes talk to. I've done specials where I talk to the audience for five minutes of it, which most people don't do on a special. And I was ready to do another special, but then I had to cancel the whole tour and move it, hopefully, to the end of the year. But um, I needed to get back three years ago more than ever when I saw so much hate. So many people were so angry from everywhere all different sides of what they believe in. And I couldn't take it. And I just went, I got to make people laugh and I'll do, I'm not going to go out and be, and people think I'm dirtier than I am because I did one special where I, I said fuck a lot and uh, I did the aristocrats. So people think, oh my God, he's disgusting. But most people are much filthier than me. That go blue. Yeah. I'm finding I'm talking more to people on my podcast than I do in life. Don't, don't you find that? Yes, I do. And I love that I get to have interactions with people that feel just deeper than, you know, a stranger interaction. It, there's something incredibly rewarding about about just talking to people. and, and Especially having to... now. I mean, yes. it's been, I talk to people now and they're like, oh, thank God you called. I'm having the worst day of my life. I'm a nurse. I, I lost a patient to to. COVID-19, my son's autistic. I'm like, oh, let me save my laughs to the end. It was just, um, you know, I do dark comedy sometimes to try to cheer them up. And by the way, people that are like in the middle of it, they love dark comedy. They'll, they'll oh, yeah. not, not all, but some will go there. They'll just do like, oh yeah, I got a truck of ventilators. I, you know, I'm selling a black market. I, what hospital do you work at? Oh, I can't tell you that. I do it in my yard. You know, it's just like, it's really interesting to talk to people where, you know, people could talk about their projects, but it's kind of like, it's just, it's fun to talk about it though. And and I'm actually catching up on, I'm binging TV and stuff, things I never would have watched. Things like what? Well, I did the normal thing. I had to watch Tiger King. I didn't want to. 
um, and and uh, Love is Blind. I didn't want to. Um, so I would never watch that. Were you interested? Yeah, I couldn't stop. I know. And th- that's the thing. We have this snobbery element, you know, but the shows are fucking good. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I had such judgment about things like mm-hmm. Howie Mandel and I have known each other forever. So he's on America's Got Talent. So I wasn't watching it. I wasn't, you know, I watched it a little when Howard was on it. Uh, you know, oh, Simon's mean. Everybody has their role. You know, it changes every five years. There's a new bunch of people. And and then I've gotten close with Howie through this. We did a benefit comedy gives back. And then we both hosted it. And then we were like, because I call him a prophet because he knew ahead of time, don't touch people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's perfect because he doesn't want to be in person with anybody. Right. His life hasn't changed. He wants to stay home. When did you meet? 22, 23 years old. I was in Toronto. He came to see me in a deli. I was performing in a deli that they turned into a nightclub at night for one week. And he came to see me. He was doing well. He had the rubber glove on his head. Amazing. But then he came out to LA and he got St. Elsewhere. And then he was, um, he was working with Denzel. You know, it was like this unusual thing that happened. Yeah. What was your first thing? Scary Movie was my first big movie. I did a gem of a movie called Lover's Lane. Uh, in Seattle. Yeah, I was a local hire cheerleader. Yeah. But the scary movie was my my first project and it was just terrifying. I mean, I thought for sure I was going to get, I mean, you, you just have no idea what's happening. It's like, yeah, you got the role. Like, what, 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 what the fuck do I do with that? What, <laughs> what, I don't like a mark. Oh God. Wait, what? They, I, 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 they had to put sandbags down for me. They had to put them down because I didn't know where it was my close up. I didn't know what that I knew what it was. I made I won a student Oscar. I knew what a film was. Oh, you won a student Oscar? It's, a, it's like an Oscar, but it has acne. But it's, uh, it's a joke. That's the kind of jokes that way. get me nowhere. But that I um, did for a film I made, a serious documentary. But mm-hmm. I mean, I knew how to. I, I knew where to go, but I couldn't hit the mark. So Michael Apted was the director, and they put a sandbag, and then they piled up another one because I refused to stop. I was standing on the sandbag, <laughs> and Richard Pryor was who I was acting with. That he just kept—he thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his life. <laughs> I became friends with him. I mean, it was—that's um, why I love comedians so much. There's something about him. Bill Burr, uh, I had him as a guest. He said that my act, he just attacked me. We did like 90 minutes and he attacked me for a half hour just for fun. Because I was telling him when he started, he did this thing where Philly was making fun of him. And we were on this tour, which had everybody on it. It had Louis Black and Tracy Morgan and Louis C.K. and a lot of comedians, like 10 of us. And he was on early and the audience was booing him because that's what Philly audiences like to do. And he just attacked them and he destroyed them. And that became a tape. It was a tape and it went viral on YouTube before things really went viral. And it was oddly, it was called the virus tour. And, and he just, I thought it was the best thing I ever saw. And he thought it was a nightmare. All I kept doing was trying to get him to talk about it. And he wouldn't talk about it. And then he said, you know what your act is like, Bob? I went, what, Bill? He said, it's like all the lines they cut out of Full House that you couldn't do, that you just say fuck around. <laughs> you would just do a line like one of the lines from the show that they wouldn't run on the show, and then you just said fuck. That's your act. And then I that was enough. That hit the switch and then set it on stun, and I just started attacking him. And then we were, it was like two guys playing. It was like two teenagers playing. What a thrill, right? Yes. And, and the only thing I was going to add was we're outsiders. Stand-ups are outsiders. They were always the person in school. They were either real popular for a moment or incredibly shy or nobody expected them. It's like it's like hearing about the guy, oh, he was so quiet in school, and then you hear some tragedy happened with him and a gun and a McDonald's, whereas stand-ups have basically the same makeup. Oh, he was so quiet, and she was so quiet in school. I had no idea that he or she would be this, and I, I treasured comedians yeah but i i love everything i love all of it you know i mean i i love every single part of you know being a celebrity no i mean the arts that's what i meant bob do you mind answering some really deep questions i do anything you want okay so bob Hmm. what is your favorite ice cream flavor 
Um, you know, it's always been chocolate, but it's it's got other uh, combinations in it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'll go with a vanilla swirl with chocolate in it. You can pull the chocolate back. Um, are, you, are you a toppings? I, I, I am, but I don't like anything gummy I don't think should be eaten. It should be put on a fishing line. I like peanut butter once in a while in there. Not okay. a lot. I'm I'm a chocolate guy. Butterscotch, mm, not so much. Toppings would be whipped cream and and maybe a red dye number two cherry. All right. But I don't want nuts. I don't like crunching unless it's. I don't like cookie dough. I'm not that guy. What you don't like crunch at all? Well, it depends. If it's chocolate chips and stuff, yeah. Or if it's a real good like something butterscotch that's really good. But I don't like strawberry. I don't know why it exists. The fruit I like, if it's good, I don't understand. What's your favorite flavor? Oh, I'm all over the place. I love mint chip. I love rum raisin. I'm okay with cookie dough. Might not be my number one, but I like it. I like it. Do you like chocolate chip cookies better than, or oatmeal raisin cookies better? Oatmeal raisin. That's a good question. Wow. I love raisins. I buy these special raisins and I'll plump them up. I really love raisins. You fluff them you fluff them up? Yeah, you put them in a little bit. You're a raisin if, if, you're if, a raisin if, if fluffer? They're, if they're a little bit dried, you know, like in the sun made container. They, right. You, know, you put them in a little warm water for a couple of minutes, they, they just perk right up. They're beautiful. Just they're a right good diuretic. <laughs> they're a good laxative. All right. <laughs> okay. What would you like to eat for your last meal? <laughs> no, nothing. I just want to die. Because why would I want to eat something? I'm going to crap my pants. Why, why would I? I don't want to eat. Well, you know, Give me some crushed yeah, ice. Yeah. Let me just have a nice out, you know? Yeah, so that's actually, that's very practical. If the plane's going down and I'm eating airplane food, that's a tragedy. Like maybe you want something that's like, all right, I could leave this behind. Caviar? Yeah. I don't know. What would you want as your last meal? I mean, if I'm getting executed. Oh, that's different. Uh, oh, I didn't I think know. you meant that way. Yeah. I assume that you're guilty of something, Bob. <laughs> what would your meal be? Would it be like sushi? Would you have like really good, like high grade sashimi or would you eat a steak? No, I think maybe like an In-N-Out burger. That's a good call. Okay. Who has influenced your career the most? Oh, that's, that's a lot of people. Okay. Let me, then let me make it easier for you. Let's say at age... 25. Well, 25 was Rodney Dangerfield. Okay. Because he put me on his first young comedian special on HBO, and Sam Kennison was on that. I introduced him to Sam, actually. And he told me, just keep going like a tank. Just keep going. No matter what, man. Everybody tries to stop you. Just keep going like a tank. He said, nobody wants you to make it. Nobody. Everybody's against you. Even your family. Nobody wants you. Nobody, and just keep going, man. God, how reassuring. That's so fucking great. Because he had to do that. And well, we all do, right? I mean, we all, it's true anybody that all does, and forget showbiz. I mean, just people trying to do any damn thing they want to do. You know, there's so many obstacles because that's life. At least that's what people say. Because sometimes you're riding high in April and you're shot down in May. Totally. He also would say a stand up comedian is like, you're doing six minutes for the Nazi at the border trying to get out. And he would say, if it's a good six minutes, the the Nazi guard will let you go. And if it's bad, they just shoot you and kill you. He 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 was 58 when he got his first movie. It was Caddyshack. Really? I didn't know that. He had a hard life. He changed his name three times. Really? He was Jacob Cohen. And then he was uh, Jack Roy. And then he was Rodney because some club owner called him Rodney. But he had another name, too, and I can't remember. That feels very emblematic of, like, kind of owning up to the idea that we play characters on stage as well, right? Yeah. I wonder if there's relief in the removal of uh, if it makes it mentally easier to be accepting of, like, no, I'm not phony. That's just this is who I am there. It feels like a healthy way to deal with it, I guess. Or is it loss of identity? But I'm becoming more of this on stage. But it has to be amped up. I mean, you have to give a show. People have to, they don't want to just sit there and hear. Some people are great at it, just pontificating. But there's still, even George Carlin 
uh, when he was saying things, if you Google stuff he's been saying or look on TikTok, because of course I'm on TikTok, the stuff that he says is exactly where we're at right now. He talks about viruses and pandemics, and he talks about authority and how idiots run things and a, a lot of stuff that's like, wow, that's 2020, what he's saying. But it's amped up. It has to be a performance because he was word right. perfect. Whereas some people like Dave Chappelle, there'll be the conversation in there with the point and there's an end game. He knows where he's going, but he starts with someone that drops your jaw and then he's so likable. It's this, it's the odd combination of the perfect comedian. And he's uh, self-critical. Yeah. In an honest way. He doesn't, he doesn't apologize for working hard and having money, um, which, you know, I think is, is it's difficult to do and still be very likable. And because he's, he's so smart the the, his structure, yeah. stand up structure is, and I don't know much about stand up. I'm still kind of, I didn't exactly know what like observational stand up was, you know, or like short form joke telling that feels like its own subcategory. Right. Well, the problem with stand up is once you, once people analyze it, then they're dead in the water. Cause it's <laughs> okay. so funny, like doing, you know, I've been on so many things and so many documentaries and now all the podcasts and all the podcasts I've been on uh-huh. for friends and other guesting. And they asked analyzing comedy and then there's nothing funny. Right. And there's certain people I looked up to years ago, like Steve Allen was a big TV. He was the first host of the tonight show. I think. I love your Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield with the uh, best advice, but I really am curious about the worst advice. I had a 12th grade English teacher that changed my life because I was going to go to med school. I wanted to go pre-med. And she said, don't become a doctor, become a comedian. And the punchline is she saved thousands of lives because they would have died. I mean, I, I wanted to be a pediatric <laughs> surgeon, actually. Wow. Because I like kids and I loved my doctor that saved my dad's life and because he had heart attacks. So it was always, my family had a lot of tragedy in it. So, but, but yeah, she was, she gave me great advice and that was kind of like, follow your heart, you know, follow what you really wanted to do. My worst advice, I think, well, no, it, it was valuable because it, it, it stayed with me. And, and I think about it, I was auditioning for a play and I, and it didn't go well. And I was a freshman in college and I just thought, I don't think I'm good enough. Anyway, this older actor said, he was like, how did it go? And I, I said, I don't know. And he said, well, you know, kid, if you can do anything else, do it. And so then I caught the bus back to my dorm. But I remember thinking about that and, and thinking, shit, man. I mean, John, this actor, he's been working in Seattle for years. He seems miserable. He's probably making like 20 grand, if that, a year. Like, I don't know at that time what Seattle theater paid. I mean, I got like 200 bucks for a 60 show run, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) I doubt it was 60. There's no way it was 60. Yeah. And that, I just thought, fuck, there are other things I enjoy. Does it mean that if, if this is the sole passion in my life and what if it isn't, then like, does that mean I'm I'm not qualified to pursue it? If if there are other things I enjoy, and do I it it, it messed with me in that way. So then I quit acting, and I just thought yeah, you moved know. quickly. I mean, in your early twenties, that was it. You you just were off and running. Yeah, and then but anyway, uh, so that and that's how I ended up in L.A. through Ben. Ben was in Lovers Lane. Uh, I had another teacher. I was supposed to write a book report on the Odyssey, and I didn't read it. But what? I made an eight, I made an eight millimeter claymation thing of the Cyclops and Odysseus and That's Ulysses. That's brilliant. It was. And I got an A on that, but the report that I wrote, she gave me a D minus, and all I did was make it all up. And she said on the thing, "You are my student, not my entertainer." What? And I was like, Wait a minute. Why would she call me an entertainer if I'm in? I'm in Abington, Pennsylvania. Am I supposed to be an entertainer? I love it. Because I got a D minus. Maybe I'd be good at that because I'm I don't want to be her student. <laughs> <laughs> Just an old lady. I was a great teacher to him. <laughs> what is your greatest fear? I guess my greatest fear would be that people that I love are sick or hurting or I would lose them. Let's take people out of the equation. I mean, I guess that's an impossibility, isn't it? 
No, it's not. I guess my greatest fear would be that um, <laughs> I get a dog that I love and it dies. No, <laughs> no, that's still human. Um, I, I think my greatest fear is that we end up with a world that's just full of idiots and hate, I guess. But that's people. Yeah, but don't you, I have to believe in the pendulum swinging. I've tried to believe in there's more positive than negative. I just think we go through phases. Yeah. You, you go through phases to feel the negative so that you can go, oh, no, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. yeah. What is a trait you dislike in others? I guess uh, lack of kindness and cruelty, no empathy, arrogance. Yes. Everything we're all dealing with right now. <laughs> what what's a trait you dislike in yourself? What I dislike in myself the most, I guess sometimes that I'm arrogant and cruel. No, that's not it. I think I'm 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 a little hot headed because I'm 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 a workaholic. I guess I would say so. I'm a little intolerant of people, even people I love sometimes, and a lot of people do that. They lash out at people that they love. Because they feel that they can because they're so comfortable with them. But it's really themselves that they're having a battle with. So I, I guess I have a bit of intolerance sometimes. And I think I am hot to be angry. To the If I see injustice, my reaction is not very evolved. I'll yell back. And that then I'm part of the problem. That I'm not doing it in a dignified way. It's really hard to turn the other cheek, all the stuff yes. you're supposed to do. Fuck. Yes, I know. I know. I was going to ask about divorce because I wanted to talk about it because something occurred to me today in regards to my own journey. Like that period, that chunk of like one year, two years, like whatever the that crazy time was for you. I would I would say it's either it's either hardest time ever or saddest time ever. I even thought it was sadder than death because I've lost two sisters and that was unbearable, but that continues to be unbearable. Whereas divorce changes because time heals that for both parties, usually. But I would say it was, it would be the hardest thing I had, I've gone through. So uh, I don't look forward. Breaking up is, is horrible. So it was, I'd say it was the saddest time ever, especially for me, because I had three kids. Right, right, right. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I My first divorce with Ben... I'm not great at processing. Like, I don't like to acknowledge my feelings very much. I'm not used to it. It feels indulgent. I don't I don't call my friends or parents and and sort of unload too much about I, I don't really know how to talk about my own feelings because I don't think I'm honest enough with myself to view those times as filled with pain. Or yeah, filled but, but you're what you're saying is honest. What you're saying is that you're aware of it. I think, thank you. I think that I'm trying to, I'm it truly like in the podcast has helped a lot with that. I think with just me being like, I, this talking to strangers, think reflecting um, my own sort of issues as well. But I remember 
with my first divorce, <laughs> Ooh, <so> sophisticated. <laughs> but uh, I remember feeling like like I didn't recognize myself. Like it felt like the person that I was in that marriage. I reverted to a very fun and interesting child version of myself. I think it was fun and interesting. It was probably just a freak show. But no, it's, it's a reboot. You you go back. I mean, I picked up, I got divorced. I was 41, 42. I'd been mother since 26 years old. We had three kids and I kind of picked up where I left off. So I kind of started dating somebody that was that age before I got married. So it was, and she was still older than my kids, which was, I've been pretty consistent in that. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) And just in general, I didn't take any time to examine anything. Well, that's true of youth though. And even with me, I wasn't really aware. Here I was, I was 26. Then at 30, I had a kid. Then we had kids. Then I was on two shows for eight years at the same time. So I was working like all the time. I was blessed, you know, I had what people want. And then it just, there there wasn't, I wasn't happy. Didn't mean I didn't love my family. It just, it was, it's really strange. And the guilt that comes along with ending something is pretty strong unless the person is evil. And then you're just getting saved. You're saving yourself. But I was really, for a year I had, I rented a house at the beach and I think I had one date and it was didn't go well and I was just miserable. I mean, I was so sad and Oh, Bob, I'm sorry. I directed a movie. I went to Toronto and directed Dirty Work with Norm Macdonald and Artie Lang and Chris Farley and so I did that and that was good. It kept me off the streets. Yeah. And I got my divorce papers and I put them in the safe at the Four Ugh. Seasons in Toronto and I should have looked at them. <laughs> But I was directing a movie, so I didn't have time to look. I really, I really should have looked at them. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but now I have uh, no regrets, and then I had a bunch of relationships. And the scary part of getting into one is it's so much fun for a while, and then you know, yeah, I think that's the key. I have a great marriage because she's one. She's from Chicago. I love Chicagoans. It's just salt of the earth. And yeah. I love her family. And they're great people. And I get love back. And it's not weird. And it's just very, this is just a very organic thing. We're just binging on Ozark right now. I've never seen it. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell everybody how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys watching now? We watch Don't Fuck With Cats. Did you see oh, that? Oh, I heard that's great. Yeah, be prepared. Buckle in. I don't want to tell you anything about it, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And I want to continue to watch uh, My Brilliant Friend, that HBO series. I love that damn thing. It's like the greatest film of all the films I used to watch, but it's a show. It's hard to believe it's a show. But don't you find that sometimes, especially with intellectually stimulating shows, even though they're brilliant, at least this is what I do, I'll drop off when I'm feeling lazy and then I don't pick up again? But I've dropped off because I just went, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore. You know, like there's a couple shows that took me like six episodes to get in. And that was painful. And then once I did, I was in. What? And what show? The great one with, um, with uh, oh my God, it's on HBO, Succession. Oh, it, right, right, right. All right. It, it took me a while. It really took me a while to get there. But once I did, I was, I was in. All right. Okay. I'm going to give it because I, I, I feel the same way as you. I enjoy it, but I'm still kind of figuring it out, I think. But people do seem to. But we it. look at other stuff too. And my mother would always say this to me. Well, you just look at the acting and the writing and 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 you look at the camera and I don't look at any of that. I just want to enjoy my Lifetime movie. <laughs> <laughs> this but, is a Hallmark movie, Bobby. You know the people are so should. good looking. She should. <laughs> yeah. She should. What haven't you taken the time to learn about? Oh, my God, everything. (laughs) You know what I think I haven't taken the time to learn about that we're all forced to learn about now is history. I never spent time in history in school realizing if it's true. (laughs) Now I'm wondering, was everything in those books true? 
You know, they don't tell us what happened. I guess Lin-Manuel has told us more of what happened with Hamilton than I ever learned in school. Totally. Yeah, I didn't know what, uh, you know, we look at what regime we have now all over the world. I mean, it's, uh, oh, goodness, that should be turned off. Is that your home phone? Oh, that's a film producer. Let me turn it off. Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk to him. Let's talk to him. What do we got? Oh, you want to talk to him? Hold on. (laughs) David, I'm on a podcast with Anna Ferris. Can I call you back? (laughs) I will. I love you very much. That was a showbiz call, but he's an old friend. That's David Permit, who produced Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, cool. uh, And produced a Penguin movie I made where it had no dialogue. It just had penguin footage with Sam Jackson narrating it called Farce of the Penguins, and it was penguins fucking. And it was Tracy Morgan and Monique and me and Louis Black and Christina Applegate and a bunch of comedians. So that was David. The bell was supposed to be off. My biggest mistake in life was not taking history and taking that call. (laughs) So I like that. All right, history is your answer. I like that. I love history. Okay, who... Living or dead, would you invite to your dream dinner party? Uh, I, I, living or dead, I could do a dozen people. Anybody. Well, right now, I think Tony Fauci, just because I, I want to get some information. Abe Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, Gandhi, Eckhart Tolle, Moses, Jesus, but he'd have to sit in the middle, Buddha, <laughs> Groucho Marx. <laughs> Well, that's a tough one because there's so many people that I would have Norman Lear because he's a friend and he's just kind of my, he's just this brilliant, beautiful man. I'm trying to think who else needs some majorly funny people, you know, some hilarious, all of Monty Python, Richard Pryor, Don Rickles. But I think that'd be enough. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have any young people there. Um, and BJ Novak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I love it. Oh, and Chappelle. Chappelle. And Betsy. And John Mayer. And all the Kardashians. Okay. (laughs) So I'd want my daughters. I want my wife. Yeah, right. And you. (laughs) And maybe Sarah Silverman and uh, and Nikki Glaser and and Jane Fonda. I love it. I love it. And Um, Lily Tomlin. Oh, yeah. That would be amazing. This is going to be, I have to have this catered. I've asked this question. I think you've given the best answer by far. Yeah, you, you have a great dinner party. Okay, in one word, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, can it be two words? Sure. Funny and loving. I like that. All right, funny and loving. I'll let your wife know. <laughs> and, and Oh, I forgot. And deviant <laughs> and <laughs> gluttonous. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's my law firm. <laughs> um, so do you, okay, Bob Saget's here for you. Yeah. I love that. I love that title. I love it. You are here for us. You're here for America. Are you ready for that? I am. <laughs> I was going to call your number. Oh, yeah, you can. I love it that you're doing that. Yeah. I mean, I put it in the thing, they leave a message, and then I call people and I talk to them. I love that. And it's just so, it's so real. And you, you know, you're talking to people that don't think you're going to call them back. I'll I'll call you back. And then I put it on Instagram or Twitter. I'll call you back, you know, between one and four on Thursday Pacific time. And then people don't think I'm going to call them. And then one guy I called him, he was just stoned. He was so stoned. And he was like, he was just telling me stuff he shouldn't have told me. He was from Iraq. He was told, telling me that his parents moved here for a better life seven years ago and how hard life is. And as he's telling me all this, he's just laughing his ass off because he's so stoned. So I, that's valuable. Well, <laughs> I'm his new friend. I loved when you asked, you asked a young woman, do you feel like the world is ending right now? And in a gentle way with a lot of humanity and I love it that you were inquisitive and caring. I love that that's what your podcast is. That's the the goal of creating community. And That's it, what and I love about it. I didn't think I would find it like this. I, I did it because of how upsetting the world was. And then two weeks later, I found out I couldn't be in studio. So here's my, my home recording life. And 
reaching out. What you don't know is I was outside that woman's house when I was doing that interview. <laughs> <laughs> what's great about these, what's great about your podcast, it goes to the world. You know, you this literally, you know, you do a TV show and you're on, you're on network. So you go, okay, is it going to be syndicated around the world? And then you find out, oh my God, it's popular in other cities. I can't believe that. Yeah, I mean, other countries. And I found out some of my shows were and some of them weren't. And then Netflix, of course, you're automatically everywhere all over the world. But networks are, are not, you know, and this stuff just goes. Like I'm doing an interview next week. I've been to the UK a lot and I've got some wonderful radio and podcast interviews set up with people that I like a lot that I did when I performed there. And in Australia, I'm on their Today Show with David Campbell. I don't know if you've been on that before, but they're like nice people. Yeah. I had two days in Japan. Yeah. And and I was on some show that was like, it was just unbelievable. It was like lost in translation. I was You're all of a sudden in, in a studio days. and everybody was like yelling, oh, Danny Tenor. And I'm like, what? And then in Australia, you go to the same studio. You start in the morning at seven o'clock. Then you have the 11 o'clock show, the two o'clock show, the five o'clock show. And I did four shows all in the same studio with different hosts and a different backdrop. And they just moved the backdrop. <laughs> and, then, and you're like, wow, how economical. Oh, that's amazing. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So now we're going to call one of our listeners. They send us letters asking for advice, and we will try to figure things out. Right. Hey, Lisa, how are you? It's Anna, and I'm here with Bob Saget. Hello. Hi, Anna. Hi, Bob. Hi. How are you doing, Lisa? Hanging in there as best as I can. I know. Yeah. Time has melted, hasn't it? It's crazy. It's, it's uh, yeah. Um, crazy time. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm still finding the words. I don't know if I'll ever find them. So, yeah, Lisa, will you tell us what's going on? You wrote us a, a very moving letter. Oh, okay. All right. So I wrote a lot down because I was afraid I was going to be fangirling. So I wrote it down. I'm going to read it to you guys. <laughs> All right. So here it goes. I'm a really super, super private person, but I also am the type of person that has the ability to always put a smile on my face, pretend I'm always okay. So I met my husband about 12 years ago through a mutual friend. I knew about his past with his drugs, started with an injury, and then unfortunately the pain meds turned into an addiction. He was in a treatment center before I met him, and he was clean for about a year and a half before we started dating. He was clean during our relationship, or so I think, uh, but I would find, like, randomly find, like, Suboxins. I don't know if you guys know what the Suboxins are. No. I, mean, I don't know. What is it? To my knowledge, Suboxins, like, a, a, this kind of medication that... I think it blocks like opioids and, and like heroin. And he explains it to me as it takes the edge off. So instead of getting high, he takes this and kind of like, I guess it's like, it's like a replacement, I guess. Right. Got it. So it's a treatment for opioid addiction, but still also a narcotic. So I would find these. I would find them in his briefcase throughout the years because my gut would always tell me to look. And every time I would question him about it, he would always tell me, you know, I got the itch to get high. I called the doctor. He called me in a script. I'm okay. And I believed him because I thought he was telling me the truth. So then I'm going to fast forward to three years ago. Three years ago, he fell off the wagon really bad. So bad to the point where we had to eventually file for bankruptcy. Obviously, we weren't forgiven of our debt because he makes too much. And now we have a burden of paying this bankruptcy for five years. And I thought that would be an eye opener for him. Like, okay, like I really fucked up. Let me stop. Let me not do this anymore. Well, beginning of quarantine, my gut 
again said to me, go through his shit, go through his phone. I go through his shit and I find this little bottle of red liquid. I'm like, what the fuck is this now? So then I go through his phone and I find text messages between some other guy putting an order in for apparently what this liquid is, is liquid morphine. I was devastated. My heart broke. I got angry. Now, mind you, we just moved about 90 miles away from all of my family, all of my friends. So I I was like beside myself. I don't talk to anybody about this because it's like, I don't need anybody judging, you know? And yeah. Okay. So he falls off the wagon. I flipped out. I gave him an ultimatum. I say to him, I need you to get help or I need a divorce because I don't know what to do. So my conditions were, I'm going to drug test him once a week. He has to find a group therapy. He has to find a sponsor. He has to find a therapist. And it's just, I'm not a crossword. I have a three-year-old who loves his daddy. I'm sorry. I get so emotional. He loves his daddy. And he would be devastated if I took his daddy away from him. I just, he's a great man. He's got a great heart. He would do anything for his family. He just, he fights these demons that I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. I just, I'm so, I'm at a crossroad. Do I just get a divorce and say, fuck it? Or do I give him the one last chance? You know, I wrote in the me- the message to you, like, this is like the sixth second chance again, you know? And I just, I don't know what to do. Lisa, my heart breaks for you. I'm so sorry. I want to flag a couple of things. You just said, I don't want to take my son away from my husband. But you're, you know, your husband's taking himself away. That's I know. It's true. But I, and I know that you know this. I also think it's not fair to you and probably not super effective for you to be in a parental position, which it sucks because it feels like then what's the other option? He's tried rehab. He's tried, you know, I I totally understand that this is just fucking hard. So I think you shouldn't have to be a mother to your husband as well. You should should be able to be partners. But Bob, I bet you have some thoughts um, I think he is he willing to get help now? This last time, yes, because I've never threatened with divorce. I've always, I want to say maybe I'm I'm at fault sometimes. I've enabled him sometimes. Like I, I was like, all right, he's going to take care of it, and he never did. But this time, I was like, I want a divorce if you're not doing the right thing this time. I have friends that have a son, and um, this has a happy ending. He became a lawyer. Um, he's married and he's clean and he was on heroin for years and he hit the streets and he was doing God knows what. And they had him at all the programs, all the places you're supposed to go to, if you can afford it. And they spent a lot of their money to get him there. And what you're supposed to do, which is the most painful thing is to not let that person in your life until they get clean. And it's the hardest thing to do because they can say, I'm not going to do it. And then it flips on a dime. And so if you've given the one more chance, then you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, which isn't fair to you or your child. So, you know, it's almost like maybe, I don't know what the timing is. I'm not a doctor. And, um, you know, there's people like Dr. Drew that I used to trust more. (laughs) but there are people that are good at this. He's really good at it. I mean, he knows about substance abuse. If there's someone you wanted to call, he's the guy that actually does that. And there are places you can go to that do it. And there's places that aren't expensive that do it, that are good at it, that you can inquire and you could at least get him the information of where to go. But he has to, he has to do it himself. And you know, you, right. you can't make him do it. He has to do it. But you can say you have all self-respect in yourself to say, I can't have this in my life and I can't have this in my three-year-old's life because this is already ingrained in the child's life. Mm-hmm. You know, I have some friends that have really benefited from Al-Anon. Yeah. And Al-Anon is, uh, you know, for family members and friends of addicts. And it can be uh, from... Yeah, I don't know if you've if you've been or if that's helpful. I've never been. I should go. It's just you know, life just sucks right now with this quarantine. There's like nowhere to go or get help or anything. You know, everything's at a standstill. 
Well, I think there's Alan on Zoom. You can do, yeah, think, you, you can do oh. online. Yeah. Yeah. You you have to look up Alan on and go under the quarantine and get on a Zoom meeting. I, I think I would recommend that now. Yeah. And I think you can even yeah. do it so you, you don't have to be seen. So if you want to like just dive in and listen to people, because at least you'll find a support system of a lot of people that are going through exactly the same thing. And I'm like you, Lisa, in that I don't like to talk about my relationships too much with anybody because it it right. one it feels like it's sort of breaking a partnership and I think I protect him I think yes. I don't know if I protect him to a default but I, I just try to protect him like I said he's a great guy he's an amazing father you know and he just has this demon man that he just can't get rid of I don't know I don't I don't know and it might be so helpful to talk with strangers who won't judge you who won't tell you you know to to leave him or to not leave but unlike sort of the emotional investment that friends and family have that that might be a a great place to start I'm so sorry though I'm I'm really sorry he sounds like a wonderful person and it sounds like you have an amazing no it's true I know so many people that have gone through this so so many. many wonderful brilliant people some don't survive. So in some ways you'd be saving you'd be saving his life. I lost a friend a couple of years ago and I couldn't be friends with him anymore because he couldn't stop the addiction and he ended up dying of an overdose. And he was becoming successful again and he's a good person and very very smart. I would say that's really good advice to get into a, a Al-Anon meeting on Zoom whether you're identified or not. There's counselors on there. I'm sure a doctor comes on there. I mean, there's people that, and and you might want to reveal yourself on there. Maybe not your face, but you might want to be able to talk. You might want to be able to speak to people and tell your story like you are now. You're right. And Lisa, there's a few different online resources. There's also a few women's sobriety groups that are similar to Al-Anon in terms of support for for friends and family. Yeah, I'll take anything. I I don't know what direction to go anymore. I don't, I don't have a lot of experience besides my husband with this, you know, so I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know if what I'm feeling is right or wrong, or if I'm doing something right or wrong, or I don't, I don't know. I don't know which way's up. I feel like lately. Clearly the confrontation and the ultimatums you've been giving over the last year, the last few years haven't been very effective. Yeah. And it's my kid didn't ask for this life. He didn't ask for this. And I, I can't let him live like this. Like, it's just, it's a guilt now for me. Like, I, you know, what, like I said, what do I do? You know, but so hard. It's so hard. I'm so sorry. I wish I had something soothing to say. I, I'm just sorry. I, I love it though, that you love your family and I love it that you care about everybody. And I love it that you're protective of him. I, I do think that people in some of these support groups could probably be of comfort and reassurance and potentially give you some really practical, good advice. I hope. Yeah. The Al-Anon, I think that's a good idea. I've never did that. And you know what? I think you guys are right. Maybe I can try to put with people that can understand where I'm coming from. Completely. Completely. Yeah, they're living it. They're living it and they've lived it, but you've got to protect yourself and your child. I know. And you can't Very be miserable. True. You can't be walking on eggshells that he's going to go off and, and destroy himself. You can't go down with th- with that. I know. It's true. I hope that through community, maybe you can figure out a, a path. Yeah, it's a good start. It's definitely a good start, I think, for me. And he, like, like Bob said, he's got to do this himself. He's got to get the help. And I told him that. I can't. I know I enable him all the other times, you know, but... He's got to make the calls. He's got to make the appointments. And I told him that, you know, this is on you now. Oh, Lisa, I'm sorry. I'm Thank sorry, too. Thank you for having me. It's a tricky time, I think, I would imagine, especially for, for addicts, because uh, there's this feeling of, of a future without a future right now. And, right. And I know. So, yeah. And the quarantine is also, as far as work goes, I mean, is he able to work? He's not. He's been off for about a month now. That doesn't help this. Yeah. No, it doesn't. And you can't go through and dump everything out. Then you're taking the authoritarian role. It's him that has to go through and dump everything out. And you can't be yelling, throw everything out. You've got to go online right away. Yeah. I would say go on as soon as you can. Put on the headphones and just go go learn. 
and, and I communicate. Think you're right. I've never tried that avenue. And you know what? It's maybe it's time, you know, everything else we've been doing up until this point for 12 years is, hasn't worked. So right. something has to change. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times we need help a lot of times and we need help from other people. We that's maybe that's what this time's about. This, this thing that this crazy social distancing is driving us into this communication that we're having right now it's it's new but there and it's horrible that people are dying and it's horrible that there's this disease we can't find but it sure is giving a reckoning to a lot of people of what matters yeah Mm -hmm. and changing a lot of people's lives and to try to get positiveness into your life now and remove the negative and if that means removing him for a while it would mean that you got to protect your kid especially if we got a pandemic and then he's off the, you know, he falls off and he leaves. You really can't let him back in because you don't know where he's been. And he's. Yeah, you- he's been OK. I mean, that I know of, you know, and everything now is a lie to me. So I don't trust anything that comes. But I mean, he's been home. He's been hunkered down with us for a good month now. So oh. uh, unless he has reserves somewhere, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I just know that it's a just a problem that comes in. It, to me, it's what I believe it comes and it goes, you know, sometimes he falls up then he gets back and he's okay for like a few more months and he falls back off again. And I don't know how many times because I'm so naive, I think. But that it's not a reflection about how, of how much he loves you or your child. And I'm not saying that to make you feel fucking guilty at all. Um, no, I, I know. I, just, I, I think, th- but he has to, he has to take some initiative. He has to do it for his family and for himself, you know? Right. And thank you. Thank you for being so open with us and our listeners. I, I know it's not easy to talk about. <sighs> I know it takes a lot of courage. Thank you for having me. I love you guys. I love you too, Lisa. You know, please, lots, please lots be. of love. Thank you guys so, so much. Stay safe. Thank you, you, you Lisa. You too. And don't blame yourself. I know. Yeah. I know. Al-Anon. Al-Anon, I think, is going to be a good move for me. I think so too. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I hope so. Okay, well, I love you, Lisa. I love you guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Bob, thank you so much. I would love to be on your podcast if you really meant it. I don't know if it was like. No, I meant it. I I have no disingenuousness left in me. Okay. I like that. Thanks for having me, Anna. And we will be. I so appreciate it. I do too. Lots of love. Lots of love. Thanks again, Bob. You too. Talk to you later. 